there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tavalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. In the last lorn fight against the fall of long night, the mountains stand guard and the dead shall be warred, for the grave is no bar to my call. Tom, chapter 26, Eye of the World. Ooh, it gives me shivers. Yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is the Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. Today we are going to be talking about the Horn of Valir. Yep. But first, just a special shout out and thank you to our patrons mm-hmm. because if it weren't for you, we wouldn't have all this time and extra, you know, love going into our episodes. Exactly. So thank you. Yeah. It and really is best. so helpful. Yeah. Thank you guys. Our first cargo master is Kevin Marksman of the Victorious Talamanes, which is an excellent Such ship a good name. name. <laughs> Such a good name. I, it's like picking something, you know how like you pick certain things out because the name is really cool? It's like that. Like if I were traveling on a ship and I had a, a choice between, I don't know, the spray or the Victorious Talamanes. You I know the which Talamanis. one. Fuck yeah, I would. I'd be like, that boat sounds like a good time, and victorious on top of it. <laughs> and we do have some innkeepers that we want to say thank you to. Leith, thank you. The Finn at the Winking General, thank you. Finn, we and love you. We love you. We love you. Um. <laughs> And Winterfell Sadai of the Butterfly Garden Inn. Which seriously, oh my gosh. I love the idea of a butterfly garden inn. How beautiful. Thank you, everyone. I want to eat there and get drinks on the balcony. Right? Right? (laughs) It just sounds so delightful. Thank you to all of our creative and wonderful patrons and also just to everybody who like interacts with us on our social media and whatnot it's delightful so thanks everyone so Ooh, we're doing a westlands 101 today and it's we're doing been a while i know i know and i'm really excited because i think we're going to do a couple 101s at least before we jump into reading the great hunt and we also have like our one year anniversary mark coming up soon which is just turning one i know (laughs) (laughs) i feel i feel like all fresh and new like a one-year-old i don't know (laughs) one-year-olds aren't all that fresh and great (laughs) yeah i think we're gonna plan on doing something a little different for our anniversary episode um if you follow us on social media or discord you can find info there we're still not exactly sure what yeah we've got an idea we've got a plan we're kicking some things around i think it's going to be really fun when we do it like the things that we've talked about of course make me giggle so yeah i'm excited that we're doing some 101s leading up to our anniversary and reading the great hunt and again it was kind of the idea what should people know about in the great hunt and considering the great hunt is all about 
finding the Horn of Valir, it seems like a really good topic to start out with. And it's one that I've had on our list for a while. So here we go. <laughs> when I was like starting to think about this, I was like, what are my questions around the Horn of Valir? And I just wrote out like a whole bunch of questions really fast. And then I came back a few days later and there was all of this text. <laughs> I hit you with a wall. You did. It was amazing. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, Amber. Um, so the very first question, of course, what is it? What is the Horn of Valir? And just a real simple physical description. It's a golden curled horn with the words. I think it's my turn, turn to butcher the old tongue. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> are, you, are you ready? Okay. Yeah. me Avan Mordin is. Something. So translated from the old tongue, it says, the grave is no bar to my call, like the, the, the passage said at the beginning. And this horn really means what it says, and we'll get a little bit more into that. But I like your next section here, what's in a name? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because Robert Jordan does this so often. I feel like even just the names of some of the characters have meanings. So if we look at the word valor in English, mm -hmm. meaning to be courageous, mm -hmm. this comes from the Latin word valir, which hopefully I pronounce right, which means to be of worth. Mm -hmm. So that can give you a little clue. Yeah. Yeah. Like it kind of... Even when I was reading the books for the first time, the Valor-Valir connection kind of hit me. So even not knowing a whole lot about what it was, there was kind of this like sense of the hero to it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. So how does the Horn of Valir work? And there really isn't a known here. There are a lot of unknowns around the Horn of Valir, but what we do know is that it is an instrument of mythical proportions. It is said that when the world is in great need, the Horn of Valir can be used to summon dead heroes from the past. And there is no evidence showing how it was made, which is kind of frustrating because how do you call heroes back from the dead? I would love to know how that works. But it is said through the centuries, the souls of great heroes have been collected and added to a small but elite force of fighters and tacticians. And one of the big concerns around the Horn of Valir, this is why there's like the hunt for the horn because it's been so well hidden. One of these major concerns is if an agent of the Dark One is the one who sounds the horn, can those heroes be compelled to fight on the side of the shadow? So I love that we have this big if and almost scary if because these, mm -hmm. the heroes that are attached to the horn, they're the best of the best of the best. Right. And if this legend is true, mm -hmm. then it's basically implying whatever person has access to the horn basically has an arsenal of something like nuclear weapons. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Like forces through the centuries that have shown themselves to be so superior that something out there was like, oh, hey, your soul is coming with me. So I really I'm very interested as to like how it works. But those are the things that the legend and the story say about the Horn of Valir. But it's been missing for like, what, 3,000 years? Is that right? Like once we get I to the beginning so. of the book. 
So yeah, it's been missing for a while. A while. It is believed that whoever sounds the horn is linked to the horn until they die. And when sounded, the blower will call into action these heroes from their grave and fight for the sounder and only the sounder. Mm -hmm. Supposedly, the blower will be linked to the horn until their death. Mm-hmm. So the next question would be, who are these heroes of the horn? Mm-hmm. And just to name a couple, because mm-hmm. there are many, mm-hmm. there is a man called Rogosh Eagle Eye, and he's described as a fatherly looking man with white hair. One of my personal favorites is Geidel Kane, mm-hmm. a dark skinned man with broad shoulders who wears two swords on his back. A description that I found says that like he's wearing them on his back but they're such large swords swords that they're coming up so like you can see see them like from the yeah yeah nice he just sounds like a tank he you does. know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> he does oh gadel kane the tank Hmm. Yeah, Brigitte Silverbow is iconic. She wears this long golden braid and she uses a gleaming silver bow with silver arrows that always fly true. So cool. I know. I love I love her description. (laughs) Arthur Hawkwing is the next and he is a tall hook nosed man with dark eyes who carries a great sword named Justice. And another fun one is Amaresu, who is, the oh, she carries the sword of the sun that glows in her hands. So they just all sound really cool, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) The next thing kind of regarding the Horn of Valir is its ties to Ilion. Mm -hmm. And we had asked ourselves this question a couple episodes back, Mm -hmm. and we're coming back around to it. Mm -hmm. So... The reason that Ilion is important is because they produce these proclamations with seals and ribbons. So men go all out through the other nations Mm -hmm. and they'll go in the town squares and read these proclamations and they call on anyone who will (laughs) swear their lives to the great hunt for the horn and they want them to gather in Ilion. And the oath is called the Hunter's Oath. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but all I can think of at the moment is, did Ilian get to do this because they had special stationery? Is that what this is? <laughs> <laughs> they had a contest. Who has the fanciest stationery? Ilian, you win. You win. Ilian was the only one with a horn. Right. For, like, the wax seal. They're like, um... They're like, we added ribbons. <laughs> I just think that that's funny. Sorry. I'm so Sorry. The oath is called the Hunter's Oath, and it is an oath for life. Even some of the hunters are considered famous in Mm -hmm. their own right, and these hunters for the horn show up in stories and Gleeman's tales. So not only are the heroes of the horn famous, Mm -hmm. there are legendary hunters for the horn. Yeah, I think... it's all shrouded in these tales. I think Rogash Eagle Eye was originally a hunter for the horn, wasn't he? Like, I feel like that's one of the things that I read about him when I was looking over things. But one of, at least one of the the heroes of the horn became a hero of the horn while seeking the horn. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I find that amusing. (laughs) I didn't realize this is an oath for life. It is. So, like, once you sign on for this oath, you just spend the rest of your life Mm -hmm. hunting for the horn of Valir. Mm -hmm. Do you get a vacation? 
I mean, I guess if you find the horn. <laughs> no days off for you. Keep going. I, did, I didn't know that. I think that that's really intriguing because, like, to me, I've always kind of thought of it as, like, you do it until you're tired of it. That's how I've always seen it. So all of these hunters for the horn will gather in the great square of Tamaz in Ilion, and this is where the hunters will swear their allegiance in their life to finding this artifact of legends Mm -hmm. to prepare for the last battle. Mm -hmm. And this is even seen by some people as foolish. There are characters throughout the series who will kind of scoff at this, like like these silly (laughs) hunters for the horn. Because there is this, there's, you know, two sides to every opinion where some people just think this is a myth mm-hmm. this isn't a real thing so of course you would see these people who are swearing oaths as kind of dumb yeah yeah <laughs> like an oath for life to find something that has not been found in three thousand years and or possibly doesn't even exist exactly so. yeah i mean there have been various hunts called throughout history and I mean, obviously, at this point, no one's found it. So it's like it's like searching for gold. And it just might not even... I mean, gold mm-hmm. isn't a good example. It's like searching for a unicorn. That's better. There it's you cool. Go. Yeah. It's attractive. <laughs> Who wouldn't want one? But does it exist? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It'd be cool let's, if they let's did. Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So we do have one quote here told by a gleeman when we have these proclamations Mm -hmm. being called. (laughs) And they are recounting one of the stories, I guess, of the Horn of Elier. There are so many stories Mm -hmm. of the Horn of Elier. Mm -hmm. But this one goes, prancing silver hooves and proud arched necks, silken manes flutter with tossed heads. A thousand streaming banners whip rainbows against an endless sky. A hundred brazen-throated trumpets shiver the air. The drums rattle like thunder. Wave on wave, cheers roll from the watchers in their thousands. Roll across the rooftops, the towers of Ilion, crash and break unheard around the thousands' ears of riders whose eyes and hearts shine with their sacred quest. The great hunt for the horn rides forth rides to seek the horn of Alir that will summon the heroes of the ages back from the grave to battle for the light i butchered that i need to change this font because i can't <laughs> or not the font the color go for it do what you need to do well one of the things that i wanted to kind of say is i like this description here about the writers whose eyes and hearts shine with their sacred quest we don't really have a lot of religious iconography around mm-hmm. anything in the Westlands. Like, as far as I know of, there are not churches. There's not really organized religion of any kind. There just seem to be, like, two sides. Like, there's the light and there's the dark. And people are like, thank the light or whatever it is that you say when you sworn your soul to the dark one. But this definitely has the feel of religious fervor to it it's very old testament like the archangels coming down with Mm -hmm. golden swords and you know the angels fighting in a battle just because when we say that they are ripped from their grave there's this air of 
immortality to it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And this is, I guess, closest that we have to religion. Yeah, yeah. I think so. You know, and I mean, each group has, I mean, not every group has this, but lots of groups throughout history have had their, for some odd reason, the only thing that's really coming to mind right now are like the 12 possible possibles the 12 Impo- those impossible possibles <laughs> words i know we're good at these we're good at these um but that's what it, it makes me think of the 12 apostles and i mean not that they can come back from the dead but almost every central character needs like their own entourage their own posse their own special fighting force or whatever it is the 12 apostles weren't really fighters though were they no but they were pals they were but they also buddies oh christ (laughs) (laughs) they had t-shirts they all had matching (laughs) t-shirts jc and friends together (laughs) (laughs) what i'm thinking more on that is like Every central figure, not every, I hate generalizing, but central figures frequently have a group that kind of comes around them and has their back. It's like shown throughout history. You can't do anything on your own. And so I think that the Horn of Elyr, the heroes of the Horn, set up a really good auxiliary force that's Mm -hmm. also an essential force. But when we're talking about things that are myths and legend and religion, it's also pretty easy to see the Horn of Valir's connection to Norse mythology mm-hmm. and the view of Valhalla. Mm-hmm. So the Horn of Valir, some people believe, is fashioned after the Horn of Heimdall. Mm-hmm. And it's a great story connected to this god named Heimdall. Mm-hmm. And he's been set with a task of holding on to this horn called the Gallarhorn mm-hmm. or Gjallarhorn. I'm not a Norse speaking person so I I apologize to our listeners I think you're doing great but this was supposed to be one of the most protected and special things in the realm of the gods Mm -hmm. and the reason why is because this man Heimdall or god Heimdall is tasked with being the sounder of the horn before Ragnarok And so this would be the war that ends the cosmos. Mm -hmm. So this Heimdall is tasked with basically being a century Mm -hmm. and standing watch and waiting for, I guess it was the giants who were coming to start this war. It was, I think it was the giants versus the gods, some of the gods versus the gods. And there were giants involved. I am not an expert on Norse mythology, but... I just like that you have it in here because I am also not an expert (laughs) in Norse mythology at all. But we can see this war which ends the cosmos, this battle of Ragnarok, to be very similar to what we see in the Wheel of Time Mm -hmm. with the last battle. Yeah. And this is something that is almost a saying and a curse. Mm -hmm. You know, like this is a taboo subject that people in the Wheel of Time don't want to talk about, Mm -hmm. don't want to think about. Mm -hmm. So we can say that it's understandable when our characters are having 
strange weather patterns mm-hmm. and wars start cropping up mm-hmm. and people are seeing strange things or there are rumors of strange things. Mm-hmm. This is where you've got people starting to worry and then that thought in the back of everyone's head is the dark one, the last battle. Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. And this is another reason why I think it makes the Horn of Valir such a taboo subject mm-hmm. because some people see it as great glory and this amazing cause mm-hmm. and then other people will just be like, you know? Yeah, and like also... These goofballs wasting their life <laughs> going to look for a unicorn. Hmm. Yes. It, I mean, it actually does really go back to that point that you had made earlier that like some people think of them as being foolish. Perhaps it's not just that they think that they're foolish. It's that they want to pretend like there's not ever going to be a need for the Horn of Valir. Like, I don't know exactly. about you, but I definitely don't like to think about impending doom. It makes me really no. anxious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an anxious person as it is. I know, so right? Having this threat of the end of the world hanging over your head that's a scary thing absolutely and i mean this also ties into christianity as well because the last the last battle can be easily described as apocalyptic and Mm -hmm. that's really like i believe it's the angel gabriel is that right who can i think i think he was the one was the mouthpiece right yeah and i believe when i was reading over on the wiki that when he blows the horn it will call up the souls of the dead to fight in the apocalypse like the end of the Mm -hmm. world so again here's a horn and it's supposed to raise people from the dead and fight on both of these though it seems as though the indication is that the side that has the horn is the side that's in the right. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Right, yeah. No, absolutely. It is. And I was just going to say, with what we're seeing in mythology and Christianity, mm-hmm. it's this very clear cut. These are the good guys. These are the bad exactly. guys. Exactly. And the good guys always have the horn. Right. I mean, that's just how it how it goes. Yeah. I'm sure there are instances somewhere out there where... It's used for evil. Yeah. And at least has the opportunity to fall into the wrong hands, which I think is another thing to point out with the Horn of Valir is that just because you've signed on to be a hunter does not necessarily mean you are going after it for the right reasons. Because without knowing whether or not the heroes have their own free will and knowing that they're attached to the horn and potentially the horn blower... What if some egomaniac gets a hold of the horn and is like, I want your country and your country and your country. Heroes of the horn, off you go. So I like that there is this uncertainty. The horn is out there, but it's not specifically in the hands of an individual that's protecting it that we know of in the series. Like in this, it sounds like, is this Heimdall? Does he, like, have the horn all the time? Like, does he protect it? Yeah. And it seems like Gabriel does the same thing. So here we have basically, like, a needle in a haystack. And anyone 
can find it. And that's kind of scary. Well, this this it's at least what we are told. That's true. So it's that's true. It's what's alluded to by these legends and word of mouth. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, there's people hunting it, but that's not to say that it even exists. Mm-hmm. So there's this big, big question mark. Exactly. No, that's a really good point because we really there's so much that comes across, especially very early in the series that it's like, but that's just a Gleeman's tale. And then it turns out that the Gleeman's tale is not so much of a fiction as was thought, Mm -hmm. but I am sure that there are several things that are, and you know, unless you see something, it's easy to believe that it might not exist. Yeah. And we don't even, I mean, and we don't even know for sure what, in the Gleeman's tale is half truths because yes. when things get yes. passed down so many times over and over again, yep. who's to say all of the details are correct? Yeah. Even if it's coming from an event that actually did happen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've talked about the, you know, to the victor goes the spoils and exactly. they get to rewrite history. Yep. So we don't know what to make of this whole Horn of Valir talk when we're starting out. Exactly. Like I kind so of... I think. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I think it's it's interesting for new readers to be able to go through and be like, okay, so hmm, we can look at this from a couple different views and no matter which, no matter how you think it's going to end up, it, it might not. It might not end up how you think. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that Jordan does really well throughout the series is like, well, this could happen, but this might happen. And here's this little thread going this way. And here's another one going over that way. And it's really hard to kind of like nail down an exact thing every time, if that makes sense. And there's another thing, too, because we've talked about the Caratheon cycle. Mm -hmm. There's nothing absolute in the Caratheon cycle Mm -hmm. that's going that's pointing to the Horn of Valir Mm -hmm. as well. That's true. I'm pretty sure that's another big question mark. Mm -hmm. So we've got the good guys versus the bad guys, the darkness against the light. We've got this dragon reborn figure who this is where it gets a little bit muddled because in the Caratheon cycle, this breaks it up a little bit between the darkness and the light because this character is supposed to be the breaker of the world. Yeah. So it's also kind of like, okay, well, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Mm-hmm. So there's so many different groups mm-hmm. where I feel like as a reader, you're looking for these twists and maybe they come, maybe they don't come. Maybe you are wrong to start out with it. <laughs> It does happen. It does happen. I also could not help myself. I wanted to look up elite fighting forces through history. And of course, groups like the Navy SEALs and the Green Berets showed up like almost immediately, which I I understand, but I was really hoping for something. That's just our Western bias, probably. (laughs) That's kind of what I was thinking, too. I mean, the first list I came across was on Time magazine. Pretty sure they might have a bit of a bias. But my favorite, one of my favorite groups that was on this list is called the Immortals. And the I picked this because of the indication of immortality, which we have with the Heroes of the Horn. This particular group is tied to the Persian Empire. They never went above the number 10,000. So there was always like a set number of these soldiers. And not that that's necessarily the case with the Heroes of the Horn, but at the same time, you kind of always know about how many 
heroes to expect. But these these guys were treated really, really well. They were incredibly adept at the bow and the blade. And whenever they traveled, which they had to do frequently as part of the Persian Empire and part of the Persian army, they had their own cooks and their own concubines that traveled with them. So this was like a legit, almost pampered group of killers and i think that well i mean i feel like you see that a lot Mm -hmm. throughout cultures i mean if you're in the military in the u.s you have benefits yep yep so i mean i we they don't have concubines i was gonna say i don't know if it's on concubines (laughs) status but yes but but yeah in a in a place where many people maybe can't afford health insurance or something like that like these needs are taken care of absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's the thing is is like you kind of know what to expect both as the person who's a member of the elite fighting force Mm -hmm. and the person who's receiving aid from the elite fighting force. So I think that especially you want to keep your soldiers well fed, well taken care of. They're the ones who are winning the wars for you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about Jordan's military background, I, I just can't imagine that he didn't have thoughts of these particular groups in mind when he was creating the heroes for the horn and while they're all varied and they come from different time periods and whatnot they all have that in common they are all badass to the bone like and i love that i love that part there were a few other groups there's one that i learned about and i hate (sighs) at first i thought this was kind of cool but then it kind of bothered me so uh took a turn (laughs) yeah 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 so Gadolfi, like the guy who ran libya for a while i'm i'm watching this show called the evolution of evil and it's all in like dictators and whatnot and Gadolfi was one of them and i really didn't know anything more about him than his name but he's a real bad dude and so here is the thing about someone taking a fighting force and using it for an evil purpose, all while saying that they are not. So he decided that his entourage of deadly bodyguards was going to be all females. And he said that he was doing it because he wanted female empowerment and he believed in women's rights and blah, blah, blah. But instead, they became his... I don't, I don't even want to say it out loud. It's pretty disturbing. And so you can see what happens when you take something that should be good and turn it into something bad. And I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Because I would think, you know, hey, all-female fighting force, Amazons, way to go. And on this one, instead, it was like, oh, no, this is so bad. So bad. So bad. Anyway. Well, yeah, it kind of goes back to, it just comes back around to having something like a mythological, all-powerful fighting force brought down from the heavens or pulled from their graves that are pretty much unkillable Mm -hmm. on your side. Mm -hmm. It's like having nukes, you know, (laughs) when everyone else is still using bows and arrows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it definitely leaves like a bit of an imbalance. And you can see why you would want to be the person who had it. So... Yeah. Here, here. Here, here. Here, here. Um, Spoilers? <laughs> why not? This is okay. going to be this is going to be a real interesting edit. 
Hey friends, I know this isn't our usual ad. However, Amber and I wanted to share with you that things are growing and we have opportunities for you to help us continue to create quality Wheel of Time content. First, we finally joined the world of Patreon and would love your support. We have four tiers ranging from $3 a month to $25 a month. To thank you for your support, there are perks for each tier, including exclusive merchandise not sold in our Threadless shop. You can find out more about each tier and how you can support us at Patreon backslash RoadToTarvalin.com or just click on the link in the show notes. Second, our Threadless shop is overflowing with beautiful designs and various items to put them on. We have coffee mugs, phone cases, tote bags, notebooks. There are also plenty of t-shirts and tanks for the summer. Third, we love you guys, really. Thank you for all the support you have given and for keeping us company on the road to Tarvalon. I'm good. Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> Earmuffs. <laughs> I think the first question that we can ask ourselves mm -hmm. is why was the Horn of Valir created? Mm -hmm. And we can only really speculate true. here. There's not many answers. There's maybe some allusions to answers mm -hmm. where we get to know a little bit more about how it works. Mm -hmm. But as far as how it was created and why it was created... We can just guess until we, can we can't, wildly, until we run out yeah, of guesses. We can yeah. wildly <laughs> speculate. There's nothing really to stop us on it, it feels like. And I'm ready to wildly speculate. Yeah, let's do it. The first thing that I thought of is given the nature of the pattern, there might need to be some type of balance mm, because mm -hmm. we know how things end up. Mm -hmm. We know that the horn is sounded and that it's mainly, you know, At least they twice. are the good guys. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't really know why it's there to start out with. Yeah. And the only thing I can think of is because there has to be balance. Mm -hmm. And that's like the most vanilla bland explanation but probably the most realistic yeah because this is a lot of the times the answers that we're given mm -hmm. about strange questions within the wheel of time yeah it kind of always circles back around to balance mm -hmm. yes i was actually just gonna say that like i think that's one of the reasons why it is a solid hypothesis if you will is because that is something we see repeatedly is this need for balance and one of the things I don't want to interrupt your thought, um, but one of the things that I thought of after reading this, and I mean, here we go, wildly speculating, I can absolutely see what you're saying about this being a, a purpose of, of balance. So just me, perhaps it's the essence of the creator that binds the heroes to the horn, question mark. Like the dark one has the chosen and the creator has this hand-picked band of battle experts mm -hmm. so that was that like that was kind of my response thought to what you mm -hmm. had written out i think something very fun to think about probably not likely is that this mechanism to pull people from the dead mm. is something made by the dark one himself and then it just kind of got co-opted. He does. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because like, he does say, like, like he says something very similar. Shamael says something very similar. Like, the grave is no bar to my call. And it may not be exactly the same wording, but I know it's tripped me up a couple times thinking that I'm remembering the wrong thing attached to the dark mm -hmm. one. 
and thinking about the Horn of Valyr instead, but maybe... Because he, he really likes doing this. He does! Right? Like, yeah, it's his favorite parlor trick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're dead? Here, I'm just going to put you in a new body Every now. Matinees at 3 p.m. on Sundays. Come and see it for mm-hmm. the cheap. The Dark One raises someone from the dead again. <laughs> again. Again! Again, again, again. But I'm just trying to think here. So say that the Dark One has this way of doing that and pulling people from the dead to fight for them. Yeah. This is almost kind of like compulsion. Am I right? Yes. These people that are pulled from Teleron Riyadh, these heroes for the horn, do they have a choice? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I believe it's on the wiki page, I'm fairly certain. During the last battle, Arthur Hawkwing states that the heroes of the horn fight of their own free will and serve the light and that a ser- if a servant of the shadow blew the horn, the heroes could refuse to serve him. Is there a chapter marking to that? There is. It's a memory. That sounds like a memory of light. It is a memory yeah. of light. Yep, chapter 39. Okay, yeah. But see, that's not really expressed at any point early in the book. Like, there is that fear that if, like, Pod and Fane had been able to open the chest, he would blow the horn and we would have the heroes of the horn fighting against the people who are trying to save all the people. So I didn't ever see this, like, clearly explained early in the series. So, yeah, that was... But just this being ripped from your resting place. Right. It doesn't sound like a very fun thing or like anything they had a choice in right right and I guess you know I'm not gonna go against what is said in a memory of light but at the same time I have to wonder Mm -hmm. was the original intention of creating this horn for good Mm -hmm. that's a really good question it it sounds like the something the dark one would want absolutely that the dark one would somehow create Mm -hmm. it's unnatural It feels really unnatural. So for the pattern or the creator to create something so unnatural, Mm -hmm. I don't know. This, I see what you're saying. I think it's a very valid question. So how was it created? Yeah. Do we want to speculate on that? (laughs) How was it created? I just don't get it. I feel like there is a connection to Teleron Riode. Mm-hmm. So that's where the heroes are hanging out until they're ripped out of Teleron Riode. So the wolves claim that Teleron Riode is older than men. Does this mean that the magic that calls the heroes to the horn is older than the magic of men? I think one of the questions you had later on was like, who could have made it? And I think one of the suggestions was Aes Sedai, of course, because it feels like something an Aes Sedai would make. But maybe this was made even before Aes Sedai, like before that was a known group of people. Like perhaps it's even Mm -hmm. older than that. This old magic is what I'm going to call it Mm -hmm. because I don't think that it has a connection to channeling. Yeah. But this old magic feels like it would have just been around forever. No one made it. It was just always there, like parents, wolf brother abilities or whatever, Mm -hmm. like just something that was waiting around until it was discovered. Mm -hmm. It just was always there. Yeah. But, but (laughs) 
The only reason I say maybe Aes Sedai or not necessarily Aes Sedai, but just people with the ability to channel, Mm -hmm. because if something was always there before history, before people, why would it take the object of a human instrument? Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, why wasn't it the rock of Valir? (laughs) Why not the, um, (laughs) you know what I mean? The stone of Valir. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's a it's so a created it, thing. It's not necessarily right, right. like so. It's almost like this magic, this old magic, was always there, and then in an attempt to kind of guard it or hide it, they formed it in a thing like you know putting the genie in the lamp. Right? You know, yeah. you gotta like rub the lamp, the genie comes out. But <laughs> they put it, they put the magic into an actual object. Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of like holds it there. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. It it makes me think of when Perrin is making his hammer and the Ashaman comes over and he's like channeling into the hammer as Perrin is making it. And this is now a power forged weapon with specific attributes there's every reason to think that the Horn of Valir was created in a very similar manner where it was like being right. channeled into while it was being formed. So that's, I think that's me following what you were trying to say. Yeah. I'm not saying that it's an Angriol right. or a Angriol, but it feels man-made yeah. to an extent yeah. just because of it being a horn. <laughs> right. Well, and also like perhaps this is, like you said, this old magic, this Almost time before the time that we know that gets hinted at, especially through like the right. wolf dream. Mm-hmm. And the wolves like even remember back to the days where where men and animals walked and, and hunted together. What's not to say mm-hmm. there wasn't some sort of different connection, maybe even spiritual connection that had different implications mm-hmm. because you're talking about people's souls. People's mm-hmm. souls are being connected to this horn. So this feels like it goes way beyond physical, you know? Yes, absolutely. I had this for later, but I'm going to skip to it. There, When you're talking about souls, mm-hmm. I really feel like there could be some type of connection to the soul and Teleronriad via dreams and stories. Oh, yes. Teleronriad is the world of dreams. Mm-hmm. And is it possible maybe that the heroes aren't just heroes because they're courageous? Maybe it's the heroes become heroes for the horn because they are the ones who the stories are talking about. They're oh. passed down every generation after they die, so their story never dies. It so they're always vibrant. alive anyway. Right. In the eye of the world, we see like when Tom is telling the it was one of the innkeepers at Whitebridge. Mm -hmm. He's retelling part of the one of the heroes of the horn stories or the great hunt for the horn. Mm -hmm. And he's like, they'll be hanging off the rafters Mm -hmm. if you continue with that. And it just kind of makes me think that these are probably the most popular stories in this world and people love that people love heroes Mm -hmm. and who is more heroic than the heroes of the horn Mm -hmm. so these stories exist in people's minds and in their dreams which could link to Teleron Riode yes it's actually I love that you bring that up that the idea of belief like human belief can mm -hmm. keep something like that alive Mm -hmm. 
I love the show Supernatural, and I am not afraid to admit it. And <laughs> one of the episodes deals with exactly that idea, that these characters created a ghost that then thousands of people read about and then manifested. And so the idea of thought, the idea of dream is really powerful. And it's a very powerful mm -hmm. thing in the Wheel of Time series as well. So yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I love that. Thanks. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Ooh. Mm -hmm. But just jumping back to whether or not the horn was possibly not the magic of it, but just the physical embodiment of the horn, mm -hmm. there is a quote from Robert Jordan's blog from October 4th, 2005, where he says, you might say that mortals made the horn of Valier. They certainly weren't gods. So he says the mortals made the Horn of Valir. He didn't say mortals made the magic of the Horn mm -hmm. of Valir, if that makes sense. It does, and it seems like an important distinction. Right, right. And I think that he was pretty crafty with mm -hmm. his answers, mm -hmm. so I wouldn't flat out say yes. He's a nice to die on the inside. We all know yeah, it. He is. He is. So, yeah, maybe it's... Maybe the horn itself, the physical embodiment, could have been created by people, mm -hmm. but I don't think the mechanism that the horn taps into was created by people. Okay. I just think no, it's no, like no, no, an no. old magic. I think you are absolutely right, but I just had this thought. <laughs> okay. So going back Tell to me. our sci-fi episode, gift from another world. Well, this brings me to the next question. Stop thinking <laughs> the things that I think. No, please keep doing that. I love that part. No, this is exactly what I was thinking next. Is it a gift or mm -hmm. something from someone from a different world? The Finn are from a different realm. That's and how true. often do they just manifest things Good that are point. like, here you go. What if somebody asked you know I mean? for something going through one of the right? doorways and was like, hey, I have this I need idea. An army that never dies. <laughs> that I can call whenever I want it and not have to feed, and clothe, armor, any right? of the things. Right? That's what I want. And the and the Finn are tricky because there's always a stipulation, always. it kind of feels like. Mm -hmm. So if they ask for something like that, then they would also need like, okay, well, you need this horn mm -hmm. or you need a, a way to call them down. Yeah. So you yeah. might have access, this, you know, magic might be there now to use, but <laughs> you can't just like clap your hands yeah. and then they're all standing at your feet. Yeah. Huh. But no, from a different world, absolutely. Right. Like this is, this goes into his answer because he says it's not, they certainly weren't gods. Right. If we met aliens that were way more advanced than us, they would appear to be like gods, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. So they, they really would be cool mortals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they would be mm. mortals. It all comes back to the sci-fi stuff. Yeah. Maybe the Finn are just mortals from another realm mm -hmm. and their mortality is much different than the humans so they could be mortal i mean they're capable of being killed for sure and we don't know yeah. anything about their lifespan or life spike life cycle life cycle their life sparkle <laughs> finn show us your life sparkle Ooh, what do you think that's gonna look like in discord <laughs> 
I can't wait to find out. <laughs> I just see a snake blowing confetti. <laughs> Pew! Sparkly, sparkly confetti. Let's make mm-hmm. sure that this sparkles properly. I fucking love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that, I mean, it's pretty much canon. The Ogier are from a different realm world. Yeah. So it's possible it could be an artifact from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In our episode, the sci-fi episode, we were talking about the Mogidian quote, like travel to other mm-hmm. worlds. And so, yeah. Who doesn't bring back mm-hmm. a souvenir? That's a... <laughs> Right? <laughs> it's the number one selling item in the gift shop. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> hey kids. <laughs> need your own need your own battle force to take care of those bullies? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Teleronroad is just, you know, like the warehouse. <laughs> I was warehouse. I was gonna say like cryo. Yes! Please. For the heroes, yes. you know? Yeah, only more fun. Yeah, they're just given some VR to hang out, talk about while they're resting. Yeah. And then, zoop, then they're back on Earth and fighting. I mean, hmm. it get, I guess it makes sense to spin them back out in their human form from time to time. It seems kind because, I mean, yeah. if you're attached to this thing for such a long period of time... And all you do is like kick around in Teleronriad with like the same people. The same he- people. Yeah, because I mean, it's not like the oh God, right? It's not like the world of dreams. You like Rogash pop- Eagle Eye? Rogash <laughs> Eagle Eye has like these awful jokes that everyone's just subjected <laughs> to for thousands of years. He walks into the room and is like, "Hey guys." <laughs> like, have oh you God, Have you heard back. about this thing? And everyone's like, "Pretend you can't hear him." <laughs> You can't sit with us, Rogash. We've talked about this before so many times. I can't wait for him to be spun back out. When is he leaving? That's that's the, that's the air right there's now. Like, there's one of those calendars on the wall, like so many days until the last time Rogash has been spun out. Everyone's looking Big at cheer. it. Yeah. Uh, 1,632 <laughs> days later. Everyone else but cheers. Anyways, yeah. I'm pulling myself back. No, that was so, fantastic. I needed that. We talked about the shadow possibly creating it. We talked about it being old magic, possible channelers mm-hmm. did something, possible relic of a different realm or world the fin the shadow i don't know if there's really anything else i think i've exhausted my speculating i think that covers pretty much all i mean i'm sure there are more areas of where it could have come from but i feel as though we've touched on the majority of them at least okay well then i can talk about this because i thought this was interesting and i didn't really realize this until doing some light rereading mm-hmm. but it must be used in unison with the dragon banner mm-hmm. that they find at the eye of the world mm-hmm. so it is kind of like this fail safe mm-hmm. you know yeah but if in the event that it has to be used with the one thing wouldn't it be smarter to keep them hidden separately you would think okay i just didn't know <laughs> if like i was 
being silly thinking unless, that but i was unless like, they would... believed the eye of the world was the safest place well i mean it worked for like three thousand years so they definitely did something right with the horn being old like the implication mm -hmm. being old i don't understand how the dragon banner becomes attached to it like was there it's, did they all it hang feels out like an inconsistency it really does it definitely feels like one because we're like this old magic and it's been here and all of this speculation and then like oh like a fucking flag yeah like, it's connected to a flag anybody can make a flag right is this a power rot flag like what is going on with this flag yeah <laughs> name of the episode what's going on with this flag <laughs> It does. I feel like Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> what is the deal with this flag? But that's valid. That's mm -hmm. valid. Because I was wondering the same thing. I was like, but why? Mm -hmm. And of all of the people that are attached to it, why is it the dragon's banner? Why isn't it Archer Hawkwing's banner or Rorish Eagle right. Eye's banner? Like, mm -hmm. oh, and also. Does Arthur Hawkwing really belong as a hero of the horn? I was going to say the same thing. Right? Same thing. He's kind of douchey. Maybe he just, yeah. I guess he gets to pick his battles now that he's a hero <laughs> for the horn. So I guess, I guess he, no, you know what? It makes perfect sense because he wasn't too happy about Aes Sedai. So he would go fight for the dragon who was basically effed over by the Aes Sedai. So he would, I'm sure he would align himself with the Dragon Reborn. Yeah. Is the dragon attached to the horn? Um, well, his banner is, so. Because uh, yeah. I, would, I would think that his soul would need to be attached mm -hmm. to it in some way as well. When the heroes are called in the Great Hunt, there is talk of the banner, and before they lead the charge on the sh Sean Chan, Arthur Hawkwing says something like, something's wrong, something's holding him, and he tells Rand he needs the banner mm -hmm. to follow the mm -hmm. dragon. Mm -hmm. And he also says, like, oh, hey, Luz Theron, good to see you again, mm -hmm. you know, like... And, you know, Rand is all like, I'm not who you think. I don't know what you're talking about. And Arthur Hawkwing is like, oh, yeah, you're just in one of these new bodies. Like, of course, you wouldn't remember. Mm -hmm. And it makes it sound like they have this longstanding relationship yep. of knowing each other for a very long time. I don't see any other reason they have to be connected. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. There has to be a connection. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way. I just don't know how or why that happened. Yeah, it's almost like it goes back to that Baalzaman dream between Rand and Ishamael, where he's like, we've been doing this fight since the beginning of time mm -hmm. and, you know, over and over again. So who's to say, who's to say how long this has been going on? It just, was it going on forever, mm -hmm. like eternity, since the wheel just keeps spinning? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, again, when I try and think of the pattern and endless possibilities, my brain kind of breaks, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Well, and I'm also thinking back to the end of Eye of the World, 
when Rand is starting to go up those steps, like right before he goes up those steps, and there's mm-hmm. that voice that talks to him, and I, I think mm-hmm. we kind of landed on that. He's not here. Yeah. Whatever. It's not it's here. It's not here. Yeah. And, like, the reference to... It was to... actually, that was actually Arthur Hawkwing talking to his <laughs> old buddy Luce Theron, like, you moron, the horn, it's not here. It's at the eye. Get moving, you big Go dope. Back. Um, <laughs> You're in the wrong spot. What I was, what I'm wondering is because we we speculated that that is the voice of the creator, and I feel as though that's one of the things mm. that others have speculated on as well. I don't remember quite where that landed out as to like verifiable, but mm-hmm. if that is the case, if Rand is the chosen one, then I guess it makes sense in some way that there would be a need for his connection to the heroes to like he would be the hero of heroes, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. and that's. Yeah. That's interesting. So it's almost like like Rand is is Shamael's equivalent as far as mm-hmm. like incarnate presences mm-hmm. of yeah. the Dark One and the Creator. And they even do the body swap. Yeah. So weird. Mm-hmm. So they weird. are each other's opposite and parallel at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My Brain breaking. But I mean, weren't they fr- friends before? Like before everything yeah. went down. So I have to wonder if in some ways that friendship was still there. Do you know what I mean? Like even though Ashamael had made this choice to go, you know what? Is this one of Valir related? Because I might be taking us off on a well, tangent. It's okay because I almost, I can kind of see what you're saying, like where it's not like a hatred, but almost just like a competition, like a friendly competition, like two, two athletes at the very top of their game exactly who possibly could play on the same team, Mm -hmm. but then the world cup shows up and they've got to face off against each other. Exactly. They're going to shake hands afterwards, but like. You know, in this case, mm-hmm. they're fighting for the light or the dark. And yeah, I could feel like Ishamayel takes almost in some places a shockingly almost good natured approach to yes. like taunting him. Yes. Where it's not like, and don't well, you... I mean, he's like, I'm going to give you back your memory so you can see that you killed your own family. That's like, pretty he does awful stuff. Yeah. yeah, he does terrible stuff, but he almost talks, yeah, as though, like, they had been friends. Especially as, like, the series moves on and Ashamayel becomes Morden. It's almost as though him being put into a body that was from that time and also more in line with the age that Rand is somehow kind of like tipped him in almost this friendlier that feels that feels extreme uh slightly more benevolent yeah improved friendlier Ashama. yeah like perhaps the hormones inside him are doing different things than they would have in a man who was like several hundred years old i don't know mm-hmm. but i do feel as though the ashamael morden rand relationship really shifts a lot in the series and by the end of it i'm like do you guys love each other is there a bromance, <laughs> a Moradin-Rand bromance, and then for Rand to take Moradin's body? So then they become each other, like you said. Yeah. It's just 
Weird. So if that's the case, then is Morden like gone from the world forever? Does Rand remain attached to the battle or the, the Horn of Valir? Is the Horn of Valir still needed after the last battle? That is a great question because Brigitte has it thrown into the sea, I'm pretty sure. That's what I remember. I feel like it isn't needed after the last battle, but it could still be used for evil. Well, okay, and here's here's my thought on that, actually. Just because something ends up at the bottom of the ocean doesn't mean that it isn't later oh, at the sure. top of a mountain. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It would be really interesting to have a, like a rite of that later on of the rediscovery of the Horn of Lear after like a thousand mm-hmm. some odd years have gone by and the world has shifted for some unknown reason. I should maybe write mm-hmm. all this down. I would imagine that it would be needed, but I would also imagine that the fear of what can be done with it would lend it to be tossed in the ocean as like a reasonable mm-hmm source of what to do with it. Before we get into this question of Mm -hmm. it being used for evil or potentially misused after the last battle, I did want to talk about how an individual is chosen as a hero to the horn. And you wrote, are they severed from this cycle once it's begun? Mm -hmm. How is a person's soul attached to the horn? Who are the people attached to the horn? Mm -hmm. And I had talked about Teleron Riode and myths and legends and dreams but before that there was some other things that you had questioned here Mm -hmm. so we actually do get to see one person chosen to join the heroes of the horn and it's really oh it's so yes it's so (laughs) satisfying it's just one of those moments that you get to it and you're like of course of course this is what happens. And so mm-hmm. Jane Farstrider becomes a hero of the horn after his adventure in the Tower of Genji, where he is with Matt and Tom and they rescue Moraine and he sacrifices mm-hmm. himself so that they can get out safely. And then at the last battle, when the horn is sounded, he shows up, he's been chosen as one mm-hmm. of these heroes of the horn. So what we know of Jane's background is that he has his own book. <laughs> yeah. He's done yeah. some pretty incredible things. The I think the thing that is most noteworthy of his mm-hmm. adventures is when he caught that, what was it Cowan Fairheart, the guy who was a dark friend. Yeah, the one who... Screwed over Malkier. Exactly. So Jane Farstrider is actually Malkieri, which is a fun thing to know. But he was the person who brought Fairheart to justice. And so there's that deed. And then apparently he ran off and did a whole bunch of other things. I was trying to find various other instances of, of mm-hmm. renown for him or whatever. And I really didn't find a whole lot. But based off of his fighting ability, his presence with Matt when he's going by the name of mm-hmm. Noel, there's a lot of really good happening here that kind of shows what it takes to be a hero. And I think ultimately mm-hmm. self-sacrifice is at the top of that list, really. Like, mm-hmm. And not just in the fact that he gave up his life, but one of his big regrets is giving up time with his family. Like after his wife had passed away, he felt as though he had 
perhaps spent his time doing the wrong things. So there's an element of humanity and an element of self-sacrifice that goes into it. It's not just... And there is the element of him being a legend. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. like we were talking about with stories, like this guy has his own book. He is known. Mm -hmm. Well before his death. And that Mm -hmm. was actually something like when when I first read the series, I automatically assumed that like Jane Farstrider was this old timey story because that's what everything has been. Like all of those things happened like in the way back days. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that this basically happens, what, 20 some odd years before Lan's Lan's lifetime that Lan was born. Exactly. So it that kind of surprised me. But I think, gosh, I think that story theory, I think that's really strong. I think that's really strong. (gasps) What? Tell me. Tell me. Matt. So Matt may not be a hero of the horn yet, but Mm -hmm. Matt has the to dance with Jack of the Shadows. Like (gasps) he sung about. He already has. Like, that's what I was like. "Ah!" So he might be on his way. I think so. Yeah, I think I think that's the perfect fit to Matt like this begrudging like no like you can't make me do what I want dragging hero (laughs) Mm -hmm, yeah he's the perfect Mm. anti-hero exactly I love it that would be that would be really fascinating if like stories and Matt has all of the memories of other legendary fighters good point so good point he would be so valuable to the heroes Mm -hmm. of the horn Oh Matt. Oh Matt. But then there's but then there's the question of after the last battle is fought and won, can heroes still be called up? Mm-hmm. Like do they they meet their quota then? Well, and, and I mean that's that's one of the questions too is can you be severed from the horn? Do you have a choice? Like mm-hmm. at some point if you decide this isn't your gig anymore, who do you talk to? Is there an HR for right. and the Horn of I'd like to talk to management. Um, I'm so over this. <laughs> Have to share a room next to Rogosh Eagle Eye for like ever. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like, that's a good point. How do you get? And I think the closest that we come to a person's connection to the Horn is definitely with Birgitta. When she gets pulled from Teleronriad, mm-hmm. and like that is one of her overwhelming concerns: is if she has been ripped from Teleronriad, is she still connected to the Horn? Is she still connected to Gaidel Kane? Is a Gaidel? Yeah, yeah. Gaidel. Sorry. And so, this, however you want to say thanks. it, it's a weird name. It's a weird name. <gasps> I find her relationship with him to be one of the most epically written romances in the story that we do not get to see i agree there's something heartbreaking and beautiful about being pulled away from the one you love but coming back after death over and over again to find each other like right so brigitte's death and reincarnation almost instantaneous Mm -hmm. because of the horn is one of my Mm -hmm. favorite sections in a memory of light i bawled i cried oh my god (laughs) oh my god i really was not knowing what to expect after she was murdered but i feel as though part of her presence when she comes back to elaine like there's almost 
this calmness to her. It's relief. Yes. It's relief. Yes. She's like, everything's okay. That was the hardest part for me to read because I was bawling and I was so sad, but I was also so happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I was just, it was like, okay, sad, ugly tears, <laughs> followed by like joyous, <laughs> ugly tears. <laughs> Either way, it's ugly crying all the way around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I was in the exact same situation. And I just, I feel so much in that, in that moment, because wasn't Brigitte kind of developing a drinking problem? Yeah, it was almost like dementia based on the fact that she was losing her entire sense of self, mm-hmm. all of her memories mm-hmm. and the memories of the man that she loved mm-hmm. and then drinking it away. Exactly. You know I mean? she had, there was nothing else she could do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she was coping as best exactly. she could. Exactly. Like she was doing everything she could to be a part of the world that she found herself in while also dealing with the crushing heartbreak of not knowing if she would ever see the man she loves again so I don't know like I know that there are so many tragic characters but I've always seen her character as one of the most tragic and it's probably just because I adore her so much so like it hits harder Mm -hmm. for me but yeah there's something about losing your memories that is terrifying yeah Probably even more so than having memories put in your head. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know which one's worse. Bonus memories awful, versus but... lack of memory. I think yeah. I would definitely choose bonus memories. Right? Like I, there, I forget enough things as it is. Especially if you get skill mm-hmm. from it, you know? Right? If it made me a badass general of some kind... Yeah, it depends. Yeah, it depends what the bonus memories were. Good point. It was like, oh my god, good point. One million years, one million years of torture. Those <laughs> memories, probably. I, don't think I would I'd go with. That. I'd probably go with losing them. That's but, true. Yeah. Very, very, very good point. Yep. So, to move on just a little mm-hmm, bit, mm-hmm. why was the Horn of Valier kept locked away from humanity for three thousand years? Why was it only needed for the last battle? And you wrote this. Mm-hmm. Couldn't they have been super helpful in the Trolloc Wars? Perhaps Netherin <laughs> guys could have been saved if they had access right. to the Warren. And my response was absolutely with five exclamation points. <laughs> Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. I, I, loved, um, I loved the emphatic agreement from you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. The only thing, though, on the flip side is that after the horn is sounded by Oliver... When Brigida dumps it, mm-hmm. I guess, like I had said earlier, it's just because of that fear of it going into the wrong hands mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. if it was sounded for some power-hungry monarch, then I guess everyone is screwed. Uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's hidden away until the last battle, its power can't be abused so long as nobody finds it. Mm-hmm. Matt uses it, but then there are stipulations because it almost sounds like you need the dragon, you need the dragon banner, mm-hmm. and you need the horn. Yeah. So I don't know. It almost seems like if Rand is alive walking the earth, it could still be used if they have the right ingredients. <laughs> My head hurts. Aww. This is too much. It's too this much. Is too much. There are just so many things that have so many questions, and mm-hmm. we might be getting a little angry nerd about it, and I don't mind that at all. You sit down, you angry nerds. 
No, I will stand and, and I, join I say, you. I say that to myself. Right? I'm not calling our listeners. No, 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 no. That's me. 110%. I'm talking about myself. Yep. Yeah. If we're ever like, oh. like joshing anyone, it's generally ourselves. I think that that's... <laughs> Above all things, making fun of ourselves is at like the top of the list. Mm-hmm. So this this was something that I I have had a minute to think about, but I still want to talk about is what were the omens that called for the hunt in the of the horn in the first book? Something had to have happened. The last hunt for the horn. At some point, I just wrote out the word grunt instead of great hunt. <laughs> I autocorrect did that and I was like, no, that's perfect. I'm leaving that there. That's exactly it what it stays. is. It's the grunt. So the grunt for the horn. <laughs> it's not the horn sounder, it's the horn grunter. That's even better. That's even better. The horn grunter. There's something very unappealing about the word grunter. I'm not even gonna lie about that. <laughs> <laughs> the mental is so funny. Oh, <laughs> someone up on their horse, like yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what happens if you grunt at the wrong time? What if you're on the toilet and you grunt roll before? <laughs> um, I didn't need you guys. <laughs> But if someone could grab me a laxative. I'm out of toilet paper. Uh, I just pass it under the stall. They all stand around. I didn't sign up for this. This is fucking bullshit. Uh, um, so anyway, as far as like omens that were present that called for the hunt, I think mm-hmm. it was like 999 NE whenever it's done. So I started thinking about it. We have no spring and an extended winter. So the weather's fucked yes. up. But that's like about as far as I am. Oh, we have the dragon, Logan. All of the false dragons. Yeah, Mazrum Taim. We have wolves doing strange things. Yep. Mm-hmm. We have giant, giant flocks of ravens pecking yep. animals' bones dry. Right. Piling their eyeballs on top of their innards. Mm-hmm. Classic. Yeah. There's so no, I guess there there's a few more things than I originally had thought. Me too. But generally, oh, oh, and they're I mean, there are trollics mo- moving around yeah. like crazy. Yeah. That doesn't get explained until the end of Eye of the World where we learn that they're using the ways and their massive armies. Yep. And Bail Doman has one of the seals. Yes. So seals are being broken. Yep. And I guess un- unless you knew that, it wouldn't be something for you to think about. But do you think there's like a committee that gets together? They're chosen from something or another. And they're all like, these are the things that we see. These are oh. maybe these are the omen. They're like omen readers. I would assume- I would assume it would have to be like the brown Aja. Oh. So like the brown Aja would like. Because I mean, they would they would know all the history, right? They would know what to look for, maybe. I don't really know. Huh. They would have to study the Caratheon cycle mm-hmm. intently and then looking for clues. Interesting. Yeah. All we know is like this decree has gone out. People are hearing mm-hmm. about it. 
the hunt for the horn has been called an alien and it's a big fucking deal. But mm-hmm. I don't know if we ever, maybe it's in the great hunt somewhere that we get an explanation as to like how things are determined for when to call this mm-hmm. grunt. <laughs> the great, the great grunt. The gathering of the great grunt. <laughs> the gathering of the great grunters. Yes. <laughs> I like that one. Um, Okay. Yeah, so that was that was one of the questions that I had on that and was mildly worried that it would be a uh, a spoiler. So thanks for moving it down here. I think as far as everything that we had talked about, the only thing that I had left was just a little wrap-up tidbit. I love wrap-up tidbits. Yeah. So in our world, the oldest known musical instruments are all horn instruments. And... There are even some found in some caves. This cave name is hilarious, by the way. <laughs> I want to hear what it is. Geisen Klostele. Geisen Klostele? Yeah. So the lay is dialect for the suffix e, like cutie. Mm-hmm. Something's little, like mousy. Oh, Something small and cute. Cute. So I would translate it to the little cute goat monastery cave. (laughs) I want a goat monastery cave. I never would have thought to put all of those things together, but now suddenly I need one. The cute little goat monastery cave. What do you think Um, makes it cute? Did they decorate it? Is it small and tiny? I would imagine... The region that's in is probably mm. cute or something. That's adorable. But these archaeologists have found carved bone and mammoth ivory mm-hmm. that date back to 40,000 years. Mm-hmm. And there's only one more horn instrument that they have found that is 60,000 years. But it's debatable whether that was actually an instrument or if it was the holes in it were actually tool marks Mm. from killing or eating, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So these we know are the real deal. Mm -hmm. These are handmade, you know, instruments and you can actually still like, they can still play music. That's amazing. So this is like middle Paleolithic era. Mm -hmm. And so this is way older than ancient Egypt or ancient Rome. And, you know, they found horns made from seashells and animal horns so it's discoveries like this that lead to one of the biggest questions Mm -hmm. of our time and that's at what point did we become modern humans Mm -hmm. when did we start feeling and thinking and having communities Mm -hmm. so we have to really like cherish questions in the iconography was that the right <laughs> word uh-huh. yep. stuff like this because it is something so innate mm-hmm. in ourselves mm-hmm. and we'll probably never be able to answer these questions but music and art are so important in helping us figure out where our sense of identity comes from mm-hmm. and I just really like that Robert Jordan looked at our own myths and histories mm-hmm. and dreamt up an artifact <laughs> shrouded in mystery mm-hmm. And we're not going to be able to ever find out who made the horn or how, but it just, in a general sense, evokes wonder and curiosity. So, Absolutely. Well done, well said. Jordan. That was Thank beautiful. You. I loved that. That was the end of my horn of thesis. <laughs> but I really appreciated it. 
I, I like the <laughs> research. You. No, I love that. Um, I have a conch shell that I, I bought when yeah. I was in Cancun like forever ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I see you with like braids blowing it like a Viking. <laughs> Gru- grunting, grunting it. <laughs> it's a whole different image when it's grunting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I always think about like conch shells as instruments, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I have to like, actually adjust the one that I have like you have to do something to it so you have to have a tool and I think I think it was like my bioanthropology class where we talked about how like the use of tools is like the beginning of determining modern human thought and capability and so it goes Mm -hmm. back to like hand axes and um, obsidian shards and things like that. But then Mm -hmm. to know that they're also doing it for musical instruments and paintings Mm -hmm. inside caves are so much older than Mm -hmm. we thought. And the further we dig down into the layers of our earth, the crazier we find things. Like there was this one that, oh my God, sorry, go ahead. That's what's so crazy about these caves is that there are different layers. And it was, at one point it was, ice age so it was covered and then as everything thawed they had layers and layers and of course like the first so many thousands of years is just trash yeah like yeah pottery and mm-hmm. just garbage broken pieces of this and that but as the further they went down then they had you know like these little venus carvings which is the first depiction of like a woman mm-hmm. yeah so and that's I think I believe it's in the same area mm-hmm. within the same area, but yeah, they just they were like, "Oh shit, oh shit, we found like a flute, right?" <laughs> it's just can you imagine? Yes, I mean, I love stuff. I wanted to be an archaeologist for like the majority of my life. I became a historian same. because I can't handle being outside. Oh. There is one person we didn't really talk about, and it was Fail because she's like the first hunter for the horn that we. <laughs> Fine. Here's the only thing I'm going to say about okay. her because when we were talking about how like people going out hunting for the horn could be seen as fools, basically. Yes. Can you imagine her parents, her parents finding out what she was doing? Mm-hmm. Yep. No wonder she is like, I'm going to stay close to these Tiberians <laughs> so that my dad can't find me and whoop my ass. Right? And I mean, she's really, like, she's a young woman. She's what? She's so young. Like 18, maybe? Mm -hmm. So it's very much like that rebellious, I ran away from home and Mm -hmm. I swore my life to hunt for the horn, even though my dad is like fucking Davram Bashir. Like, what the hell, Fayil? Yeah. I don't know. I guess we need a Fayil episode. We probably do, because I have very mixed feelings about her. Same. Yeah. I think we can... (laughs) We can have a pros and cons of Fail episode. <laughs> Love it. All right. I think that's it for today. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.